0: The lesson this morning is from the book of John, chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Thank you, Al. You may be seated. grace to you in the name of the holy trinity amen when i was in my early 20s and living in minneapolis i did not own a car and i was very proud of that fact <laughs> My job was only a mile and a half from my house, and so each day I would bike to work along the Midtown Greenway, or if it was really cold, I'd catch the 21 on Lake Street. And if I needed to, I could always borrow a car from one of my five housemates. So, because I wasn't spending money on a car, I decided to do something that was pretty adult. I opened a small retirement account for myself. I was setting up my account via phone, and the woman at the other end of the line, she was so proud of me for being financially responsible at the age of 24. But things hit a snag when we neared the end of the process. Okay, she said, To finalize your account, we're just going to need to know the make and model of car you drive, and then we can, you know, set up your account. Well, I don't have a car. Of course you do, she insisted. You've got to have a car if you're going to open a retirement account. Why would you want a retirement account if you don't have a car? Back and forth we went. With me making some valid and impassioned, though slightly off-base, points about classism and urban density and climate change, and finally she just said, you know what? We're going to make up a car for you. (laughs) You now drive a mid-sized sedan, and it's blue. Could you at least make it a hybrid? (laughs) I asked. (laughs) This company... They were telling a story about their clients and what their lives looked like. And the story was that first you get a job and you get a car to take you to that job. And then because you have that job, you start thinking about what lies ahead and you open a retirement account. That's how life is ordered. That's the script. And you know what? For most people, that's a pretty accurate story. That story works out. But with me, their story came up short. Jesus, disciples have been telling themselves a story too about what following Jesus is going to look and feel like. They've left their homes and professions to wander around the countryside with this guy. And they've got some ideas about where it's all headed. According to the disciples' story, following Jesus is going to look like the glory and victory of bringing healing to the sick and casting off Roman oppressors. The story of following Jesus looks like joyful and abundant feasts, hanging out with Jesus as he turns water into wine and celebrates life with all around him. And the story of following Jesus looks like Jesus never, ever going away, of nothing bad happening to him, of them staying side by side with Jesus, always And inseparably. Well, those of us who read the Gospels 2,000 years later know that the disciples' story came up short. Jesus does go away. To the horror of the disciples, he is imprisoned, tortured, executed on a cross. And yes, he returns from the grave and visits them a couple of times, and then he ascends to heaven. And the disciples end up living out the rest of their days without him by their side. Their story about how life with Jesus was supposed to look did not include these events. They were not in the disciples' script. Jesus, however knows exactly where he is headed. And so in John's gospel, he tries to prepare the disciples for his departure. For four whole chapters, Jesus speaks unbroken, urging his disciples to recognize that he is going away, to make space in their stories for something like this. That's where these words come from this morning. Jesus is addressing his disciples who stand right on the precipice of unforeseen change. They cannot comprehend the amount of disruption they are about to undergo. The world is about to shift underneath their feet with Jesus' death, and Jesus is trying to warn them about it. I know that this has happened for you, too. You have woken up one morning, and by the time you go to bed, your world has changed. A phone call, a knock at your door, a conversation with a doctor, a hard and decisive argument, a report on the news, and suddenly life is different. The story you'd been telling yourselves about your life and how it is going to go has come up short, and the life map you're holding in your hands doesn't match up with the strange landscape you now find yourself inhabiting. This is what grief is. The feeling of being lost in your own life, of learning to accept that you are now in a present and future that you did not choose or expect for yourself. Did you know that whenever we grieve, we're actually grieving two things? One is, of course, the person or relationship, job, place, state of health, whatever it is we've lost, we are grieving them. But the other is the story that we had written for ourselves about our future. Most of us think that grief is something about remembering the past. But no, grief is about the future. The future we had told ourselves that we'd be living in, the plans that we had made, the hopes we had had, the people we thought we could count on. Grief is the distance between the future we had told stories about and the future we get instead when our stories come up short and our stories about the future, they always do come up short. They always do because the future is huge and unknown and largely out of our control. And yet, we as a species we are just wired to tell stories about what the future is going to be like. Isn't it weird that I was 22 And planning for retirement? (laughs) Something that was 50 years in the future then, at least. I didn't even know what I wanted to do for a profession then. Let alone if I would live to see my 70s. Or if stock markets or American currency or retirement is still going to be a thing. But I had a story that I was telling myself about my future one that involves me getting to rest and enjoy life at my own pace and give of myself to the communities that I belong to. I was telling myself a story about my future, one that is in no way guaranteed, one that will come up short one day. Jesus knows we all do this. He knows how we project our lives into the future, that we craft stories of how our lives might be beyond what we can see to make the future a little bit less scary. And he also knows that these stories come up short and that we will one day find ourselves lost in a land of grief. And so what does Jesus do Does he tell us to abandon this impulse? To push down any urge we have to imagine the future as a shameful thing? Or does he tell us to craft stories of the future that are worst case scenarios so that way we can be pleasantly surprised if life turns out better than our doomsday expectations? No. Jesus doesn't tell us to get rid of telling stories about our future He knows that these stories can be helpful, that they can help us dream and imagine a life that looks better than it is today, that it can guide us to work together toward common goals, that these stories spur us on when things get tough and give direction when our life is unsure and uncertain. Instead, what Jesus does is give a promise to his disciples today— a promise that becomes true whenever a story comes up short. Jesus promises that when the world moves underneath our feet and our lives look irreparably different, we will not be alone. The Holy Spirit will be there with you, guiding you into truth, Declaring God's love and the mercy of Jesus to you, helping you to bear what each day brings. Jesus does not promise that we get what we hope for, what we expect, or what we think we deserve. But what Jesus promises is that when we don't get what we hope for, we still get through. What Jesus promises is that when our future refuses to funnel itself into the stories we tell about it, that God is still there beside us, writing a future among us, a future filled with hope. Jesus promises that God is taking all of the broken stories of our lives, the gaps between the futures we had wanted and the futures we're living instead and pulling forth new life from that gap. And maybe we can't see it. And maybe it's not happening as fast as we would like. But that is the God that we proclaim here. It's the God who did not leave Jesus as he suffered and died. It's the God who raised him from the dead to speak peace and forgiveness to his grieving disciples. And it's the God who continues to send the Holy Spirit to you, holding you in whatever it is that your future brings and giving you what is needed day by day. Amen.